Now, on this podcast, we're going to be talking to Brian, who we've had on the podcast in the past, maybe once. He's a litigation legal promoter. Often you guys ask, why don't we have all these speakers at the conferences? We don't do conferences because they're boring. We do more retreats and surround it with you guys are the center of the attraction, interacting with each other as purely passive investors. But a lot of these financial guys running around on podcasts are just a lot of marketers and promoters. And a lot of things just aren't really that great. I've done a lot of them, trust me. But anyway, Brian's going to talk a lot about entity structures and what do you do when you get a little bit higher on a net worth scale. Um, what we're not talking about is where you need to bring in your estate planning attorney. And that's really where, all right, you have this irrevocable trust where you're getting money outside your state to stay below state and federal estate taxes. If you guys are under $5 million, $10 million net worth, maybe don't worry too much about it because it'll probably change in the next 10, 20 years anyway. But at the same time, if you guys are able to double your money consistently over five to six years, you do the math, right? A lot of people have come into the family office group at $2 million right now. In 10 years, you'll be at two, four, eight million. And then in the next five, six years after that, you'll be in a decamillionaire plus, uh, or what I'm calling in my next book, the rooftop, where you can do whatever you want or be complacent and be a lazy, passive investor. That's not where we're really getting into. Brian's a litigation attorney. That is more estate planning. And that's kind of thing that I'm personally working through. How much do I want to keep under my own personal stuff right now? Of course, protected under entities. But And how much stuff do I want to put off to the side? Really protected, outside my name. There is some headaches as I'm personally going through it myself. With You just can't go and write yourself a check or write whatever a check. You have to act in, in the name of the trust or however you work through things on your own. Because once you put it up into the cloud, it's gone. You've lost control of it. We'll bring on a guest on that in the future, and I'm sure I'll talk about it at in person more. That's why I always urge you guys, come out, meet us in person. Have these conversations that we don't want to have on the public podcast that is, you pay for what you get, it's free, right? You know, There's a lot of other stuff, good stuff, especially, and I think it makes sense if your net worth is multi-million dollar net worth, it's probably totally worth it at that point. But anyway, enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, what's up, folks? We've had Brian on the show. Brian Bradley, he's a lawyer. I would say it always seems like it's been like three years since I've seen a lot of my old colleagues and service providers he works with a lot of high-end clients. And today, what we wanted to do was to catch everybody up. I'm done with about my first draft of my next book. And in this next book, I'm really like outlining not only what the normal real estate groupie, I call them real estate clubbers, like the non-accredited guys flipping houses do. And then obviously, I've been talking a lot about what the wealthy do, right? 10 million plus, And that's why we brought Brian on today with the bridge trusts and more trusts and that type of stuff. In the book, what I'm doing is really outlining the steps, right? For example, going into alternate investments. You don't, your portfolio just doesn't change overnight. It takes several years, if not 
maybe five to 10 years to really transform your traditional investments to alternative investments to get more passive income and therefore passive losses and then pay less taxes. And no different what we're talking about today, right? Legally, what are the steps transitioning from a broke real estate groupie to a accredited investor to a more senior accredited investor when your net worth starts to go past 5, 10 million net worth? My mission at simplepassivecashflow.com is to help hardworking individuals like you do what I did, which was leave a professional career behind by building an investment portfolio where the passive income exceeded my daily expenses. It frustrates me that there are so many people out there mindlessly investing in the Roth, IRA, 401k, mutual funds, or worse, going through a useless financial planner who is just selling retail and financial products. Here's the problem. There are multiple middlemen taking a cut of your returns, all the while you take all the risks. In our community, we spend a little bit of effort to educate ourselves and build organic relationships with other past investors to source the best off-market opportunities, all while I'm enjoying higher returns and better security because the asset that you purchased is a real hard asset, not some kind of fake stuff like a crypto or altcoin. The trifecta is simple. Number one, syndications to get number two, passive losses to unlock other tax best practices. And thirdly, infinite banking. Join our network for more insider access and educational material at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also sign up for a free strategy call once you're in there. Enter our ecosystem. So if you did come out to Hawaii on our annual investor retreat, you'd be able to develop those relationships with the right people. To check out future events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. And we'll see you in person. But Brian, thanks for jumping on. And we'll, for those of you guys checking this out on the YouTube channel, no, Brian does not work for the mafia. He has a lumpy black eye. Why don't you tell us about it? For people who make their own stories up in their head. Uh, yeah, thanks, Lane, for having me on. And no, I don't know if I represent people in the mafia or for cartels or not. I don't ask, but it's not for me getting roughed up. Part of my part of hobbies is I do jujitsu and I went to a jujitsu tournament over the weekend. And I think I got either a knee or an elbow in the face during one of the rounds, which I ended up winning. You know, the same, if you look at me, look at the other guy, he has no scratches on him. I just walked away with the gold, at least. It's a little, it's worth a little bit of the pain. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it had to do with Ty Lopez unsecure debt fund finally coming to you <laughs> and they were just looking yeah. for a they bunch of freelancers. Settle, they didn't want like to settle the case. So we had to settle it old school. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Because that's the only way you can get unsecured debt backed by personally guarantees, which right. isn't worth like, jack. Hey, we're not going to we're not going to honor that personal guarantee if you got a problem let's go in the back alley and settle this yeah there's no asset to collect so no, it's on not, you exactly so it's on, <laughs> literally we're going to take your eye <laughs> yeah yeah so let's start from the top let's stay investor getting out of rental properties because credit investors you don't want the debt in your own name you certainly don't want the legal liability so the question Today, we're going to go through a lot of these questions that both you and I get all the time. My net worth is a million or greater. I'm a credit investor and I want to invest in syndications and private placements. I really need to have some sort of legal entity like an LLC. Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, because a lot of the deals that you're investing in, they're going to be in your own personal name. So like anything, if an asset that you own, whether it's 1% or 100% of it is in your name and you get sued then that can be used to be collected on through a judgment. And so if you're investing in syndications or these more passive investment shares, you still want to protect them. And the way you do it is you you assign your ownership into an LC, a holding company, or what I would use would be a limited partnership, which we use as a management company. And then you can hold your shares there. And it just goes to the principle of you know what asset protection is. We're separating out ownership from legal use and enjoyment. 
you want to own your assets, just not in your personal name. That way, if you know you are getting sued, then we have legal room that we can use to protect the assets. Maybe talk a little bit about the two ways you can get sued, the outside in, inside out. Yeah. Um, just so people can wrap their head around it, especially if they're new. Yeah, absolutely. So there's personal liability. So outside liability, which is you driving your car and hitting somebody with your car, and then you're going to get sued personally from that. And then there's inside liability, which would be you own a rental property and then someone falls off the roof or there's a mold issue or a fire on the property. And then they're going to that held inside an LC. Now they're going to try to sue the LC for their damages and collect from there. But most likely they'll try to pierce through that LC to get to the rest of your assets. Or if you're a business owner, it would be an internal lawsuit between, let's say, Lane and I own a business and the business is falling apart. And then we have to dissolve the business and sue each other. Well, that's inside liability, meaning inside the LC, inside the business framework. So you, the, in an ideal world, you want to protect yourself from both inside liability and outside liability. And the way you accomplish it is just through the use of creating business organizations like LLCs, limited partnerships, corporations, and asset protection trust. How we combine them just depends on the client's profile, what you have, where you're at, and we'll go through a risk profile and asset profile and see where you lie in that matrix. Yeah. And maybe you'd want to break it down the difference between like direct ownership in rental properties and a mere limited partner where you're not the managing member. What would you say? It's hard to quantify, right? But would you say like one is 10 times as much liability or 150 well, times or that'd be a lot more because if you own something directly in your own personal name there's no degree of barrier whatsoever between you and the person suing you so you're the owner the manager it's all on you then if you are a managing member of an lc this comes into this word that your people talk about charging order protections and why you hear about Wyoming, Delaware, Nevada, Florida, Arizona of LLCs because they have stronger charging order protections. And what a charging order protection is essentially saying is you're a managing member of this LLC and we're going to limit how much liability goes directly to the managing member of that LLC. Some states have great charging order protections. The one I listed, some of them horrible. Basically anyone that lives on the coastal areas, California, Oregon, Washington, New York. When we start getting like the Midwest, you're going to have in the South, you'll have stronger charging order protections, but those will only go so far as if your veil gets pierced or not. So just realize something's better than nothing. So when you're starting with LLCs, get into some sort of charging order protection. If you can, depends on where the asset is at. So we can break that down again. I wouldn't recommend saying you're a California resident with a California rental property, go put in a Wyoming LLC. That's not going to work because you can't go buy another state's more beneficial laws, bring them to California in the state you're getting sued to. There's no jurisdictional connection. But you can do that with management companies because it's an actual business. So at the end of the day, we're trying to, again, separate out ownership from management. So you want your LLCs or your management company or your trust to own the assets. And you just want to be the managing member of that LC because then you're going to get some charging order protection and limiting your life. So the way we structure our larger deals is myself as a general partner, we'll create an C, which is that first shell or thing to pierce. Yeah. Most support the managing members. And then what I normally see is like the lawyers will probably put it in the state of Texas is typical what you're seeing or is there any particular reason why Texas and uh, sometimes I'll see like an LP entity use. Yeah. Generally you see as an LP, it's just more that you can do with limited partnerships than with LLCs. We don't really use Texas that much. So I'm surprised you guys are placing it 
in Texas, unless that's where you're buying. I don't know where yeah, you're buying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's where. The, the so then that's are. why. It's no specific other reason than just you're buying in Texas. So they're using Texas as a jurisdiction because if you get sued through that property, you're going to get sued through Texas law. So that's the reason for that. I personally like limited partnerships, not as a holding company. I use LLCs as the holding company in the state that you're at. So I would use that Texas LLC. But for the management company, I like to use limited partnerships as that management company because there's just more that we can do with limited partnerships by statute that you just can't do by law with LLCs without trying to get really creative and crazy with operating agreements. And the problem is then you have to submit those operating agreements to the LLCs to a judge when you're getting sued. And it's up to judicial determination, meaning the judge will decide if he agrees with it or not. And anytime you're leaving something up to a judge and it's not supported by a statute in that state and case law, it, you're just it's gambling. And in the world of asset protection, you just don't want to take gambles. And so that's one of the reasons why limited partnerships are just better as a management company versus using another LC to manage the assets. So I guess for people listening, that's all taken care of you. But what some investors will choose is to create, bring their own holdings into that other parent LC or LP that week to hold their position. Yeah. I personally see most people not doing that because they just quite frankly don't have enough assets to for it to really make sense. But if, I think if you have a higher liability profession, certainly, or your net worth is you know, higher than- right. So like for our million. clients, that's our starting point. And so that's why we're using those LPs as management companies, because then I can put in stock portfolios, cryptocurrencies, passive syndications, cash, bonds, intellectual properties. And then we can segregate out the risky assets into the LLCs below and then have them flow into limited partnership for one tax filing. So it's out the assets legally and then creates one nice, easy tax flow. So you have one tax filing at the end of the year. And also, as I'm seeing, but I think the downside with this stuff is it can cost some money, right? This stuff ain't cheap. And I would also caveat saying that if you're sticker shocked by a five figure plus legal bill, you probably don't need to have this stuff because you don't have enough money, guys. Correct. Um, but like I'm seeing like it's a little bit of administrative. It gets used, get, it gets one used to like administrative using these things because like now I'm having to make a bank account for this DLP and then run all my stuff through there, which I get in the long run. It's one one kind of tracking method. To well, when you think about it, it actually makes you adult up and increase your business IQ as well as your financial IQ, because the one way you're going to get destroyed if you get sued is through bad accounting, bad bookkeeping, not managing or commingling assets. And then you got to go hire forensic accountants who just, if you think the startup of $30,000 to create a very strong protection trust is sticker shock, wait till you have to go hire a professional forensic accountant for a trial. Like you just go bankrupt on that alone. And so that's where these systems, they come into play by cleaning you up. And a lot of people are like, oh, I just... I don't want to use an accounting system or bookkeeping. And like, how much do you really care about asset protection? Because part of asset protection is then making sure you dot every I, cross every T, and that comes to your accounting, how you're managing your books. Like, I'm not going to be managing your books for you, but you're going to have to get the bank accounts. You're going to have to get the organizations in place. You're going to have to then get a good CPA and manage your money so that if you ever do get sued, we already have all the documentation in place and you're shutting down legal arguments to pierce your veil. Yeah. And that's why when I talk to, especially the lower net worth investors, they always go through podcast land and listen to a whole bunch of stuff, which typically just like the, what do you call them? Like the market, the legal marketers out there that just sell promoters, these kind of packages. Sell, yeah. Legal promoters that just sell a bunch of junk, like insurance. Yeah. Stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's why I come in and talk on this stuff is because like I have one of the top 50 trial lawyers in the nation. So I look at everything through case law and through trial and what actually works. Risking it for something just because you want to save a buck or I don't want to pay $800 in franchise tax. So let me, and I'm going to pick on California right now. And I get this a lot from California residents is, oh, I want to go create a Delaware statutory trust because I don't want to spend $800 in franchise tax. California doesn't recognize out-of-state asset protection trust, first of all. And if your sole motive is you don't want to pay $800 in franchise tax, you really are going about this a whole different way. You don't create asset protection structures based around saving on franchise tax. There's other ways to save on taxes. You need to think about how do I protect my assets from losing them in lawsuits then work with your CPA and wealth managers to then use the tax code to accelerate your wealth legally. Then going back to your earlier point, the pitfall with this stuff is these guys will buy this package and then they'll just not really manage it appropriately because the person who sold it doesn't, isn't really in the game of maintaining what they bought. Well, a lot of them aren't even attorneys. Yeah. And and they mess it up. They mess it up and it's super easy to pierce their corporate veil. Correct. Because then they just throw it on you. To manage, which you're, it's not your job. You don't know how to do it. And then you're going to mismanage it. Or the other issue is a lot of times you're just not talking to lawyers. You're talking to a, what are they calling themselves now? It's like the modern day version of LegalZoom. They're not giving you legal advice or doing template work. And if you do anything that's template and it's cheap, there's a reason it's cheap. So just think about that. Attorneys will cost more money, but you get what you pay for. And so what they're doing at these, I don't want to say like pimp shops, it's just casting out a wide net like an insurance salesman and saying, hey, this works nationally. We'll create this for you at a cheaper rate. And that's all that you need. And you get this false sense of security. And then when you do get sued, you realize that LLC didn't work. Like I can't just go buy Wyoming law and bring it to another state. Why didn't that Wyoming LLC in a land trust work? Or the series LLC thing we were talking about before we went on the air is the new lady to the dance. The issue here now is when you hear people talking about series LLCs is not every state recognizes them. There's only a few, not a few, like I would say a handful, double handful that actually recognize series LLCs. Florida doesn't even recognize a series LLC and you think that they would. So if you create a series LLC, which is creating a traditional LLC and then subcategorizing out little children LLCs underneath them to try to spread out liability between assets The issue is, again, not every state recognizes them. So if you live in Florida or you live in California or Oregon, Washington, basically like 70% of the states in the nation, and you get sued in that state and you went and created like a Texas series LC, well, a judge in the state like California is going to say, guess what? This is California. We don't recognize those. So this is just going to be treated like a traditional LC. So now everything is on the hook there. And there's not much case law on the series LLCs, especially in the states that even recognize them because they're new. They haven't been tested. So if it's new, it hasn't been tested. There's not much case law and they're not recognized everywhere. It's something that I'm not really going to use that much unless you live in that state and the assets in that state, and you don't plan on investing outside of the state, then I would use it as a base layer. Remember, it's just the series LLCs, they're just LLCs. There's no difference. They're not stronger LLCs. They're just a limited liability company allowing you then to break up assets and sub them out underneath as little children underneath the LLC. But your bill can, it's the same bail piercing arguments as any traditional LLC. There's nothing stronger about them. Yeah. And there's a lot of up to interpretation, no case law based in this stuff yet. Similar to if you guys go back and watch the land conservation podcast I did, I think a couple of months ago, lawyers are making the distinction between the omnibus bill doesn't pertain to fee simple. 
land conservation easements. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if I agree with that, but. And you don't want to be the guinea pig. So we have, I have some client, California clients who say, oh, I don't want to pay the franchise tax on these LLCs. So can we just have them all owned by these out-of-state LLCs owned by the limited partnership and not have to register them in California and pay the franchise tax? And we can make a legal argument for that. It hasn't been tried in California yet, so there's no case law. We could win, but do you want to be the guinea pig on that? Spend all the money when California comes after you and then potentially lose or win, but beyond all that money? It's just not worth the hassle to save 800 bucks. Yeah. And I think that's why people listen because sometimes I'll guinea pig myself. I did this like equity stripping tactic at one time. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. uh, I guess people not familiar with this, and I wasn't familiar with this, but you basically create like another LLC that you don't own. It's like outside your state and you put a lien on yourself. In theory, it sounds really clever, right? Because you've put yourself in front of the line in case you're in duress judges or litigation. Yeah, judges hate it. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like those land trusts too. Judges hate the land trusts, I hear. Yeah, okay. well, the land trust, the thing is, it's not a, there, there's no protection behind it. It's just a privacy mechanism. That's all it is. And so your protection comes from the LC that it's connected to. So again, you're just getting protection from the LC, privacy from the land trust. So your name's not on record, but you're still going to get sued. And unfortunately, all these legal promoters, air quotes here, right? Talk about land trust and anonymous LLCs, like ghosting lawsuits. And they give these false perceptions that if I can just get a land trust and no one can ever discover me, or I'm going to get an anonymous LC and I never have to show up to a lawsuit and I'm just going to ghost a lawsuit. That's the farthest thing from the fact. Like all these setups have agents of service. Their sole job is to say, hey, Lane, guess what? You just got sued, man. You're served now. Go get your butt in the court. And once you show up, your name's there. You're the managing member. Then the discovery process begins You're going to have to disclose the assets that you own. And if you lie, then you go to jail. So the privacy mechanism is just so people can't harass you and find out where you personally live for harassment, for privacy purposes, not for ghosting lawsuit purposes. So people really need to understand the distinction between that. And if people think that people can't steal your identity or not find you, I don't know what world you're living in. And it's just common sense. You look up and okay, who owned that asset last? Lane did. Who owns it now? A trust. I wonder who owns it. Lane's trust. It's just... You connect the dots and then we have our own investigative agents who then go and dig through the records and figure this stuff out. Yeah. So yeah, if you think that you're just going to disappear off the record, you're insane. In fact, it makes you look even more shady and then the trust Legal judges. optics, correct. Legal optics are very important. So that's where you don't want to get in the world of hiding and not disclosing. I'd rather be fully out in the open, fully disclose every penny and asset that we have and say, we even own more, your honor. Like here's everything that we own. Just have a setup so strong that it's not going to get pierced into. That's where those, the, in our world that I work in the higher net worth side, that's where that bridge trust or those hybrid trust come into play and saying, yeah, valid lawsuit, valid claim, we're going to lose, but my assets are still safe because they're out of the court order and jurisdiction of the US. So let's make a deal. Here's a penny on the dollar. Goodbye. And for, this is what happens offline and why I say dealing with real people, building relationships, just inner circle or family office, Ahana Mastermind. If you guys want information, you guys can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. But we talk about a lot of these kind of designer trusts and they're kind of like software in a way for some of you guys who are software salesmen, um, gotten out of the design role into the more hawking mm-hmm. of the merchandise these days. But it's similar in the legal world, right? It's like intellectual property that I don't want to say the term because I don't want to get sued, but the master dynasty East, oh, whatever yeah. trust, right? There's all these terms for these effectively the same things, but tweak the computer code tweak to 
nuanced way. Correct. Yeah. Like someone, some people are now that left our affiliation, our firm have now trying to knock off like our bridge trust and retweaking it and naming it something else, but then they don't know how it actually works. So you got to be careful with that situation as well. So it's a hard maze to, to navigate when you're just neighborhood Joe or Nancy trying to protect your assets. And then you run into some smooth talking person. How do you know what questions to ask? How do you know to vet these people? How do you know what works or not? So when you, I think a good way to piggyback off that is like when you're really trying to get through asset protection plan, one, you need to determine, do you want tax mitigation, which we can break down in a little bit, or do you want to protect your assets from lawsuits and creditors? And then from there, it's a matter of how much are you willing to brunt the risk for yourself? Like some people have a high risk tolerance. So like I'm perfectly fine with an LLC and insurance. Okay. And some people are saying, I want to be as strongly protected as humanly possible. So that's a personal choice from there. And then from there, we have measurements. And I always say, use this acronym EC, Effectiveness, Cost, Control, and Compliance. Whenever you talk to anybody about the planning that they're going to create in place, you want it to be effective, meaning you don't want someone to say, it's just an LLC, this is a million dollar lawsuit, we can pierce that veil. LLC is lowest man on the totem pole. They're not very effective. But costs, I don't think should be the driving force of how strong your protection system should be, depending on what where your net worth lies, then the cost goes into it. If you can't afford it, you're not going to do it. So you got to be within the ballpark of where your net worth lies, and then you stage and scale. So start with the LC and insurance, then go into the management company, then go into the very strong hybrid trust and asset protection trust world. You don't need to get it all in one day. Just realize where you're at is not where you're going. So you have to be able to properly scale as you go. Compliance, you got to be able to comply with the IRS, which we're going to break down tax havens and stuff like that in a little bit. But you're going to be disclosing your assets. You're going to be paying taxes. It's just not paying your taxes goes to your CPA and your wealth managers. That's the tax code. Asset protection, completely different thing. And so this is the world that you want to look into, effectiveness, cost control, compliance, when you're going through your system. So you should jump on websites like mine, where I offer case law. The more you understand the law behind it, the more you're going to know when like a, a, a legal promoter is just selling you a bunch of BS because now you have the questions that you can ask. I'll, I want to jump into the taxes here in a bit, but before we do that, I just want to go over, you know, what we do similar under the same legal umbrella, but like with our syndications, a lot of people out there will just take the Word document template and just use it and not pay the lawyer yeah. 10, 15 grand. But I don't do that. I make them do it and fill out their own stupid template. But what I'm paying for is the compliance on the back end. Like who's the lawyer who's going to come to bat when things happen? And that's, that's a good question. Yeah. When Are, are you going to be there for me? So are you just creating the ghost template for me? And then what? And then am I on my own? Then I go hunt somebody down? Or are you there for me when my world falls apart? That's part of why you have the annual fee is saying, hey, we're here for you. Our team's here for you. I may not be representing you in if you're getting sued for medical malpractice because you're a doctor and kill somebody on the table. We're going to go help. You're going to go find a medical malpractice defense attorney and work on that case. And we're going to do our job of protecting your assets. And then we're going to be corresponding with you and your medical malpractice attorney while this whole thing gets resolved and works its way out. But then we, you need to make sure that the person who created the asset protection structure there for you is there for you when you actually need it to work because you don't know how to do it. You don't understand how to utilize the back portion of this. That's what our job is for. And then I think that's the big thing for like lawyers or any profession, I think that are more senior level is their Rolodex. So those referrals for when those 
things do happen to you. When um, we've seen it so much, and that's where you get some people, like I was saying, trying to knock off our hybrid trust, but then they've never actually had to use it when we've had to break the bridge. We've had to do it hundreds of times, but we have experience with it and the connections with it and how to, when to tactically go about it. So someone, yeah, you can take a copy of my trust, you paid for it and go give it to somebody else and then start knocking off it as a template. But do you know how to actually use it? How do you know how to utilize the system when it's needed? If if I was a smart and unscrupulous businessman, I'd cross my fingers you didn't sue me. But when things do go array, I would contract you with you to my clan out of trouble after I white label your document. But anyway, moving on to taxes, we have some entrepreneurs who might laugh at that. But question okay, basic question that we get all the time. I need an entity so I can write off these business expenses. True or false? I think that you should get a business entity. Whether you're going to write the end of the assets or whatever it is that you're writing off on it, that's going to go through your CPA and what is actually going to be deemed like a business expense or not. I don't think you're going to be able to say, I want to write everything in the world off on it. Like paying for diapers, not a business expense. I'll say partially true. Legal entities, such as what we're talking about here, are for legal protection. Yeah. Really nothing to do with taxes and being it doesn't. Able to- so it'll help you in some because you're running it as a business, but it's not it goes to the whole asset protection is not for tax purposes, which again we'll break that down in a little bit. But you should you need to have the legal entities to separate yourself out from legal liability. When you start using the management company, yeah, you can probably start writing more stuff off, but that's just gonna be a conversation that you're gonna have with your CPA. And then making sure you don't commingle assets and you're not mixing personal assets from business purchases and business purpose, purpose business assets needs from your personal. And then you can start getting some tax benefits out of it from that aspect of it. But the two are separate, but they're kind of conjoined when we work with the CPA. So that's where it's that confusing mid ground. Yeah, and that's why I, it's kind of like it is, but it's not. I think what's happening is some of these legal promoters, especially because their fees are super, super high, so they can take their marketing cut, they'll typically throw in a, a, a kind of a, a misleading line in there saying that if you don't have this C, the IRS will not recognize you as a business oh. and they'll audit you and they'll throw all your deductions and you'll go to jail. Yeah. And and I think there's just like, we might as well just get into the whole like tax portion of it because we keep hip tap toeing around it here. And so like asset protection, like we're talking about, and like I'm saying, it's about limiting liability, right? From lawsuits and creditors. The people coming after you, trying to take your assets and your money from you. It's not about hiding or moving assets. It's not about avoiding disclosing your assets. What we really need to understand, and especially in the world that I work in, like the offshore stuff, I mean, like offshore Cook Islands Trust, offshore bank accounts, and then domesticating them in the US. But asset protection planning is not going to reduce your taxes. Creating business entities in itself is not going to just reduce your taxes. It's how your CPA files the taxes for how the IRS see you. If you want to change your taxes, change your facts, but you still have to disclose and report your assets and your income. And that's where a lot of these promoters are misleading people like blatantly. And so if someone is telling you, you know, this, it's just a complete scam. And this is why we don't use the Caymans or Belize or the Bahama for trust and asset protections. They're red flagged. And there's a reason why they're cheap. It's basically the poor man's Cook Islands. So people who don't want to spend the 30000 to create that Cook Islands trust will be like, I can create an offshore trust cheaper in the Caymans, Belize or Bahamas. And they're telling me I can hide my assets and my income and not report them to the government and not pay taxes on it. 
This and the scam works by these promoters. Some of them are attorneys and some of them are CPAs, and they're trying to sell this idea that if you don't have your money in the US, then you don't have to pay or owe ta any taxes on it until you bring the money back to the US. And the fact is that the IRS taxes you on worldwide income, plain and simple. It doesn't matter where you earn your money. If you're a U.S. citizen, you're a U.S. taxpayer and you owe the taxes on it. You have to disclose it. The problem with this scam is that when the IRS takes a look at your plan, it's not only that it's not going to protect you, but it's going to leave you with a massive tax bill plus the penalties. And if you can't pay that back and the penalties back, then you go to jail. The bottom line here is that asset protection planning and tax planning, they don't go together. It's like oil and water. Anyone promising you to help you, air quotes here, legally evade paying taxes using like any type of offshore entity or structure is almost certainly going to be lying to you. And if you're involved in a scheme like this, whether you just got duped into it or not, or you actually intended to do it, you're going to be the one on the line for it at the end of the day. I actually want your listeners to do this. Go, The IRS are very clear on this, and you can actually go on the IRS website and they have a whole page dedicated to identifying what's called abusive trust tax evasion schemes. And so the IRS specifically lists trust being used to reduce income taxes through abusive techniques that aren't allowed by the IRS code. And a few of these specific examples are underreported income, avoiding filing returns, failing to report overseas wiring income, attempting to, what is it, attempting to protect transactions through bank secrecy laws and tax haven countries like the ones we listed and more. So you can see this all sounds pretty. Don't report your taxes. Don't report your assets. Use these offshore entities. Use these business entities and don't pay your taxes until you bring the money back. Scam. Go, the IRS are very clear on this. You're the one that's going to be responsible and liable for this. So I, I just avoid it completely. Yeah. It's one of those things that it's too good to be true. It probably is. That, exactly. But the problem with like, human nature is we constantly seek information to validate our thought process or what we want. And if you have 10 attorneys telling you no, and then you finally have the one that says, oh, yeah, let's go and do it. I would question why that one out of the 10 said, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Yeah. So don't ask more than two people. Just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, what's the solution then for the guys that are, what's the net worth range that you would typically say where this stuff makes sense? If not, good luck with LLCs and the common man entities. Yeah, I'll break it. I'll break it down like this. So when you're just starting out, LLCs and insurance, okay? And I look this as like you have zero to two doors, zero to two units. Your net worth is probably below 200,000 for you. Some people don't know what net worth means. So net worth, I'm looking non-exempt net worth, meaning the equity that you have, I'm taking your 401k out of the equation. They're protected through ERISA, taking your IRA out of the equation. So I'm looking at the equity in your personal home, your personal brokerage stock account, cash, equity and rental properties, syndication shares, vested corporate stocks. When we start adding all that together, that's your exposed net worth. So when your exposed net worth is below 250,000 and you have zero to two units, LC insurance is fine for you. When you get to the next level, which would be up to, I'd say about 600, 650,000 exposed net worth right there. You probably have around four units, four properties, maybe investing in a couple of different states, or you probably have a high-risk profession as well, maybe like a doctor, lawyer, CPA. That's where that management company or that limited partnership come into play. We're starting to create that system now. You got the, now the strong foundation, the LLCs at the base with insurance. Now we're getting a management company where you're doing better with your accounting now. We're filing one tax return. You're having good bookkeeping in place now. Now you can keep expanding and growing. 
When you hit around that 1.5 million mark is generally when we see people coming in as a sweet spot to where you should get this planning in place because it's taken you probably a long time to get to that exposed equity and that worth. You probably have up to four to six properties or a commercial property or a large comp, maybe. And I like that exposed net worth number. It's a little bit different. Like some people get fused because the SEC doesn't allow you to count your home, but your home is very exposed. Equity in your home is very exposed. Your personal name. Yeah. And, but I like how you took out the 401k. I was also put in there, like personally, what I've been doing is throwing money in my infinite banking, a credit investor banking, because it is technically like the 401k. So you would exclude that. It it, it depends on the state that you're in and where you set it up at. Like some states like Texas will be exempt. Some states like California, like it's not very good. So then we can put that into the management company. So it really just depends on, again, what state that you're a resident of, because every state's going to have different exemptions and what they're exempting from lawsuits and not. And so that's where we really have to go through this, like a fine tooth comb and just throwing general stuff out and say, hey, here's this LC everybody can use. Not that it's not the smartest thing to do. Every state's a little yeah. bit different. That's the US constitution right there, full faith and credit clause. But then when you have so that, that, one- that guy that, that you said 1.5 million of exposed assets, he's probably got half a mil, maybe even a million in his 401k retirement accounts between him and his spouse. So he's probably like a two, two and a half million real network. It could. Sometimes yeah, yeah. like I've been seeing more and more people that have completely rolled out of their 401ks and went pure hundred percent into real estate. And then I've seen some that are just pure into their personal stock and crypto. So it really just depends on what people choose to invest in because some people like stocks, some people like crypto, some people like real estate, some people diversify out. Some people do global diversification in their investing as well. And really, I just look at what is the total value of exposed equity that you have? Where's it at? How's it titled? And then what's your risk profile from the assets that you own and your day jobs? And then let's see how strong of a system we need to create for you. And generally, the a good starting point is when you hit that 1.2, 1.5 million. When I have clients coming in around 10 million, and they've done nothing, that starting cost goes from like 30,000 to sometimes 45 because I have to create like 10 LLCs for them. There's just so much more work to do. It's a lot more expensive to fit, to do everything versus building it up over time. They can afford it. No, they can, but <laughs> yeah. then a lot of, they don't, they choose not to sometimes. A lot of people are just like, I just don't want to, I don't want to pay and they're willing to risk it. So it's an interesting mindset. Yeah. So I guess I'll summarize after a certain point, I think a lot of real estate investors, the house flipper types are very do-it-yourselfers. They got their PowerPoint. I got my PowerPoint of like my entity structure. And you're like, this LC, that LC. But after a certain point, million, two million plus, it's time to give up the reins and let you, you know, kind of let your experts design it for you. I and said, then- do, do you. Go find your deals, close your deals, make your money, and then start adding the proper team members to your team who then do their jobs. Like you should have a person finding your deals for you. You should have a good CPA. You should have a good wealth manager, have a good protection attorney, depending on the state that you're in. You may have to have a real estate attorney because not everybody can do title closing and stuff like that. Sometimes it has to be done through an attorney. So you need to start paying attention to what's your strengths, do your strengths, bring in the proper team members. When you have the proper team members working together, you have a beautiful system and you'll make more money at the end of the day. So what is the difference between you know, that guy who's few million net worth and the 10, $50 million net worth, how does it look a little bit different? 
like the protection system yeah yeah like i guess specifically talking like how does the entity structure map look like what's actually not, like one it doesn't all they do is have problem most likely more llcs at the foundation layer because they have more rental properties okay. that feed into that lp llc Correct. holding company yeah and then depending on what they invest in they might be investing in different um passive flow income so their management company may hold but like stocks, bonds, crypto. So just they'll just be more diverse in what they're investing in. But the overall structure of the use of LLCs into the limited partnership with the asset protection trust, the hybrid trust owning it, that's the same system, whether you have 1 million or some of my clients, hundreds of millions, it's still the same structure. It's just a matter of how much of the foundational pieces that we're actually using. So I think we run up to the end here. Brian, we'll have Brian back. I'm sure. Brian, why don't you give out your contact information for people to get a hold of you if they want to ask more questions? You know, my email, you can email me at brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com or jump on my website, www.btblegal.com. I use it more as an educational site for everybody. A lot of case law, a lot of educational videos on there and frequently asked questions. Go through them, educate yourself. That's what it's there for. Use it as a reference. So when you start talking to attorneys or promoters, you can ask questions and if they don't have answers for them, there's a reason why. And then I would just move on to the else. And when you do your consultations, I am going to be prepared just like when you go to your medical doctor, like one, and this has been a common trend here is people calling and saying they want a pre-consultation before the consultation. Treat it like a medical doctor. I'm your legal doctor. The consultation is when you get on my calendar and we talk about your problem. So we're not going to do a pre-consultations before consultations. And then be prepared. Know your what you own, how you own it, and your title so that the consultations go smooth. And, and any attorney that you're going to talk to is probably not going to have the conversation very long if you're not prepared for the consultation. So just keep that in mind. And I would say for you guys, like there's a nice template that we use because all my bankers use that when we underwrite loans. It's the personal financial sheet. We call it the PFS. If you guys want to get access to that, Make sure you guys join the club so we know who the heck you guys are. We don't work with strangers out there, but go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, sign up there, and then just email the team. We can and ask for the PFS, personal financial sheet, one of those universal sheets that you know you put all your assets, liabilities, your cash flow. It's basically your income statement and your balance sheet all in one nifty Excel Google document so that when you do hop on a call with a professional, you look like you know your stuff as opposed to all these jerry-rigged homebrew spreadsheets that you guys have that nobody understands. And you guys wonder why your spouses think you're crazy. <laughs> but anyway, thanks, Brian. We'll see you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.